Welcome to Vale la Pena, in English that's worth your while. I'm your host, Cynthia Rebus. This is a show where we get to do some grassroots philanthropy together. In all episodes, we'll feature nonprofit organizations engaged in inspiring projects for people, animals, and the environment. Some guests will be representatives of those organizations, and they'll share with us more about initiatives they're working on and ways we can participate. Check the show notes for opportunities to impact these humanitarian causes together. You can find this show through my website at www.rebuslegal.com and on YouTube, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now, please join me for Vale la Pena. Hello! Welcome to my show, Vale la Pena. And that in English means worth your while. The whole point is we're going to be having conversations with people that will be worth your while. In particular, we're going to be spotlighting inspiring projects that you may wish to be a part of. And in the show notes, there will be all the details you need to know how you might want to participate. And the way we're going to do this, what this really all is, is grassroots philanthropy together. And we're going to have a bit of fun. We're actually going to have a conversation with a guest, and I am so excited to tell you in a minute who that guest is going to be. And we'll be talking about what we're talking about. And join us in that conversation, which no doubt will go deep and fun and everywhere. It will be a bit of club random, if that reference means anything to you. And <clears throat> shout out to Bill Maher. <laughs> and, uh, in, in the course of it, we will then focus our conversation on the Equal Justice Initiative. That is the organization we're going to be spotlighting today. You may already have heard of them um, and perhaps are not current on some of their latest initiatives. This will be your moment to learn some of that, hear about them, and if you're aren't already familiar with them, I think you'll be delighted. That's my intent. But anyway, without further ado, today's guest is Richard Hatch. So, so delighted to have him on to share with you. You may know him as the winner of the first survivor. He is also in that capacity sometimes referred to as the grandfather of reality television. Um, sometimes you hear him described as, for those who are his fans, which is a massive fan base, <laughs> he's the guy to beat. If you ever play Survivor, he's the one you want on the island with you to beat. Good luck. Not easy. He's also the one who Sometimes they describe as having invented the alliance. So we'll hear more about that. Now, there's much more to the man that Rich Hatch is, in addition to all that survivor-ness. And here he is. So please, welcome, Rich. Thank you. You forgot the naked guy. That's how most people know me. <laughs> oh, right. Naked guy. No worries. I'm not naked. So here we go. But Here we go. Great to see you, Cynthia. I am thrilled to participate. Love that we get to spend some more time talking and uh, and so happy that the world gets to see more of you. They don't even know what a what a peach you are for the world, but we're going to help them understand how you come to do things like this and more than we could ever describe here. But since I know you, I'm going to talk about it at points. <laughs> you are free to share as you wish. But yes, this is a departure from me. This is really an opportunity to step away from the law practice, to get around that law desk, which has been justice is my life. That is my calling. It's the reason I'm here. Um, and I have a very but expanded 
notion of justice. Go ahead. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like a departure to me at all of, of, of who you are. In fact, the whole idea that you'd like to bring kind of philanthropy uh, into a more grassroots format just makes sense to me knowing who you are. I think of you as, I know you as someone who is uh, inherently caring about others and drawn uh, enthusiastically to, to, to just help, to make a difference. And more than anyone else I know, that, that, that's who you are. So if you find ways to do it outside of the corrupt legal community, <laughs> good for you, because, uh, you know, get me started on the legal uh, side of this and we'll really get going. But uh, I know today we're going to be talking about the Equal Justice Initiative, and that's, you know, dear to both of our hearts. It's um, I know Brian Stevenson is your hero, and I reached out to him long ago, a good while ago, once I got out of prison myself and uh, offered um, whatever I might be able to do with whatever name recognition I might have if he were ever interested in uh, having me assist in anything, in any way, just the work he's doing and the Innocence Project and um, and so many others. But his particularly just has always been... Um, Inspiring is just such an understatement. I don't even know where to go with it. He's just amazing, as you know. Right. So I'm just trying to figure out, should we, I'm going to say a word or two. Let's say a word or two about you and me, and then okay. we'll go into Brian Stevenson and his world. Okay. Um, so sh let me, do you want me to just go? Go for it. Yeah. So I suppose I should tell uh, folks who are watching how you and I met. And uh, why I adore you beyond description. Um, <laughs> so uh, we basically, she, uh, Cynthia and I met in a prison waiting room. <laughs> we met in prison, yes. <laughs> Cynthia was representing um, someone who became my friend uh, in prison. Uh, I was there quite a while. Uh, people probably don't know, but in total, almost five years um, an insane amount of time, and that's part of what we'll, I think, talk about when we talk about equitable justice here, um, inequitable justice, <laughs> to be clearer. Uh, but Cynthia was um, assisting someone who she cared about in a way that was um, impactful to me. And I talked with him and eventually in the uh, visiting room uh, met you, and we became friends and more, I would say, you know, um, it's impossible to describe what it really feels like to feel understood and assisted from the outside, never mind assisted by someone with your level of competence, but to just have that sense that you cared and, and all that you listened to and, uh, helped with, uh, throughout those years was, um, just just beyond what I could actually really fully communicate. But I hope people are getting the sense. And then to learn who you are and then to spend time with you afterwards and to, to, just, to just watch you in the world. I think I've said to you in text just out of the blue, I mean, just because I need, I just am so happy you're in the world, period. I mean, it just makes me happy you exist. <laughs> it does. <laughs> My, I wasn't expecting all this. I was, all my energies have been on you and Brian. It's uh, like, okay, right. I'm in this picture too. Yeah, no, <laughs> in right. a big, big way. Well, so I got to give something back here. You know, Rich, I am also so grateful for you because of, you know, in life, sometimes you have these dark chapters and you have, you go all over the place in life. And with you, time and time again, I have these moments that are so magical that I have to just like look and go, how did that happen? What am I doing here? And I'll just give you a couple of those. And I'm grateful to you for those. But here's what they are. <laughs> One, as you mentioned, I'm not the kind of lawyer anyone ever sees. If you aren't somehow on my credenza, you will not see me. So that's only reason why I say this is a bit of a departure because you can see me. Um, 
especially with the internet now, so many of my clients never meet me. We do the work we need to do, and I'm I'm an email. I'm some kind of an avatar. Um, <laughs> but with you, there was a, an incident where you were wrongly imprisoned again. This was long mm. after you had served your incredibly long sentence. And though I'm not a lawyer who's ever in front of the camera, you needed me to be in front of the camera because this was a case where I literally couldn't have my client be in front of the camera. And so I actually wound up, you know, there's if someone goes digging, you will find I have two seconds of fame that are all about <laughs> me on national television talking about the injustice of your case. So that was one where I was like, what? Like three in the morning, the car comes and somebody's doing my makeup. And I, I wind up looking so strange. My own mother is like, oh, honey, did you not get any sleep that night? Because I just looked so terrible. But, you know, it's like, how in the world do these people do this talking head thing? Whatever. Um, but it was uh, super exciting. That's one. Another one was... You and I are at the Today Show, and we're in the green room. And I remember I was at the craft table, <laughs> and I look around. You're standing next to me. I'm, of course, dork in my suit, right? And uh, <laughs> I look around, and there are just the coolest people I have ever seen. And of course, we're in New York, so people are just cool in New York, right? But these are like a whole other level of cool in there. And I look, and I actually catch sting looking right at me and I almost faint I just was like oh my god this is the time he had just released sacred love and whatever it it so impacted my well-being <laughs> through a whole chapter of life I literally just spun on my heels back to that donut or whatever was on the craft table <laughs> because it was like impossible to be with but no, no, well you're cooler than all of them Thanks to you. That's thanks to you. That was such a moment. Yeah. And I have other ones. I mean, I remember you did Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing in New York then. Must have been a work thing, but you invite me to visit you. I visit you. And where are you? Are you in the Trump? Are we in the Trump Hotel? Yeah. Yeah. Trump Tower in uh, Columbus Circle, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that's another one where it's like, what am I doing here? But of course, you were there. <laughs> Yeah, and, what am I doing there? <laughs> yeah, well, you're going to have to tell a, us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, and I'll give you yet another one. You invited me to Survivor's 10-year party, mm. which was super swank and super fun. And I even have a photo with Rudy. Oh, which is so we funny. love Rudy. <laughs> yeah, also, Rudy's thank gone. Thank you for all that magic and fun and... And then, of course, I fell in love with your husband. I love him. He's yeah. wonderful. I know you guys aren't together, but shout out to him. And I miss all Miami. our many conversations. I've been to your place in Newport. And, and yeah. we share a love of dogs. And, and we, we have dogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting yeah. how much, you know, we overlap. I also so admire... You know, one of the things I was originally really stressing out about having you as a guest is there's just so much to say about you. And then in doing my own prep, I spent some time on the on your YouTube channel. And what's so beautiful is you've done a lot of that for me. Like it helped calm me down because I was like, we can point people to that. And you're so generous with your life. You have so much to say. You're you know, so well-educated and so articulate and so thoughtful. You really seem to capture what it is you want to say before you say it. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. you don't just blurt it out. You're it doesn't feel like that in my head. <laughs> but thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I've gotten a lot of feedback from my YouTube videos. And that was something another friend um started for me i could never have done it the technological stuff behind that and pushed me to do because he was so tired of the um media of the noise that was out there without my own voice contributing to it for for balance 
And I think that's a big part of what happens with anyone's case, with anyone's life, with anyone's background. And we lose sight of there being a real human being uh, behind whatever it is that happens to be on the front page of the media at that time. Don't you right. Think? I mean, you've got, you've got videos on your prison time. You've got videos on your reflections at, at, and on a birthday, I love that one. When you turn, you were in the middle of the pandemic, I think, uh, and you were turning fifty-nine, and you had uh, just great wisdom to impart. You've got discussions on your reflections on Trump, and then of course you have a whole other in-depth for anybody who is a serious, proper Richard Hatch fan and Survivor fan. You have a world of discourse in terms of that show and what's going on there and insights about humanity and. Well, people are heavily invested uh, in the show and they have very, very sincere questions about what's real, what's what, what, what it says when she does this or he does that or, and, and I personally um, feel very clear about what that show could do and had done, has done from the beginning for folks who are kind of watching and, and wonder how they would involve themselves. Um, I think it causes us to be um, incredibly introspective in a way that other shows don't. And I think that's a good thing. And I think it's why Survivor has, has uh, lasted as long as it has. But I don't think the folks behind the scenes feel the same way. And I feel as if one, particularly as I make clear on my podcast, Jeff Probst is steering the show in the wrong direction and in inserting himself too much, interfering with the show's magic, if you will, which really was uh, the heart of it for me. And I think for most fans, getting at who we are in real ways. Who are we? How do we interact? What do we think? What do we say? How do we respond? What do we fear? How are we going to move within the context of the rules of this game? And instead, now I feel as if the uh, production kind of restrains and massages the um, environment, stealing from us, the viewers, an opportunity to enjoy what the, the, the purity, the, 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 the realness that the show um, had that, that drew us all to it so strongly. But I'll talk about it and talk about it and talk about it because I still have never missed an episode. And I still think it's a really valuable uh, look into who we are. Well, and you were almost on it, right? On season 41, or right? Oh, so many overlaps in what we're talking about when you ask that question. So I was invited when I was on probation. So I'd done my prison time. I was on probation. And you, an attorney, knows probation, the whole point uh, is to ensure that you are working and that you're getting back into society. And that's their job, really, probation officers. They're supposed to facilitate your employment, make sure that you are working, et cetera. Twice, two years in a row, I was invited back onto Survivor. And because of how much disdain, I think, prosecutors, the court, uh, and everyone had for me who who talked about them and what they did wrong and how wrongfully I was convicted all the way to the Supreme Court and in all the media, uh, they blocked my participation in Survivor. So I owed all kinds of taxes by the time they were assessed and they prevented me from getting employment to pay them back. It's, it's the hypocriticals beyond uh, <laughs> uh, not enough, really not, not enough to clarify what it was, but um Ugh, God, it's such a, such an awful feeling. Yes, I was invited back those two times. But of course, I was invited for the um, uh, all winners season, the 40th season, uh, when they had all winners on. And I was told by the, um, uh, the staff who contacted me that this was the first season they were, the, 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 the casting was being left up to production 
and that the suits and the executive producer and Jeff Probst, et cetera, they were not uh, going to be involved. And that for the first time, I was the only contestant that every single producer to a one uh, wanted back on. And so they um, asked me to drop my PhD program. I was in the last <laughs> semester of my PhD program and mm -hmm. I withdrew after having paid for it and moved partway through it because we would have to leave for the show. And two days before our flight, um, they dropped me and Tina, who was the second winner of Survivor, and uh, withdrew their um, request for us to participate with no explanation and didn't cover any of the losses or anything else in the typical way that CBS has done so many things and just does not care one iota about the participants or about just being ethical in the world, despite their facade <laughs> in the way that they try to promote oh, what I would call um, this image uh, in the show that they're that they're there to support women, that they're there to do the right thing. Jeff says, oh, we can't say we guys anymore and then talks through the episode about it. We, we, we guys is wrong. It's we shouldn't. And, and then the next episode is like, come on, guys, let's go. <laughs> it's just they don't give a hoot. It's just all about what it appears uh, or what they think it appears, how they think they appear on the on the show. Have I babbled endlessly? I feel like I'm just okay. We're on topic, still good. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, for the record, and it is true. When I met you, I think at that time I was the one person on the globe who had not watched the show. <laughs> but of course, after meeting you, I had to get myself current, and you are the show for me. Oh, so, anybody who's got some idea that you're not the show, you are the show. And anyone who is looking for a sophisticated discussion about what's really happening in that show, you are the authority. And they know that. CBS knows if they ever have rabid survivor fans that they need to satiate somehow, they have to direct them to you. <laughs> well, they can they can uh, find me on the YouTube channel and uh, or Twitter or wherever. I talk about it with anybody anywhere. I'm... Um, uh, I'm, I'm focused and have been for quite some time now on this concept of reality matters, uh, reality being what's true. And that will eventually be a podcast that I hope to get off the ground, uh, Reality Matters with Richard Hatch. But it is not out there and it has not launched yet. So don't go looking for it. But the concept applies to all we'll talk about today, I think, and really to all we do in life. And the idea that particularly in the current zeitgeist, this whole idea of what's true seems to have lost uh, value. And it, it bothers the living heck out of me. It drives me crazy because I don't think we as a society or as humans, as a race, can do well unless we maintain some real value for what's true, for what's real, for what's valid, instead of the nonsense uh, which is the whirlwind circling what's true. Um, and I can give example, uh, you know, one quick example, I, quick, I think is um, this idea of your truth. People are, you know, Oprah, the, the whole common um, vocabulary is filled with um, this concept of she's living her truth. That's his truth. He's he's living his truth. And well, my truth is such and such. Mm! <laughs> there is no such thing as your truth or my truth or his truth or her truth. We don't, we don't, we're not entitled to our own truths. We don't own what's true. There exists what's true whether we're aware of it, whether we know it, whether it's unknown, whether it's unknowable, and our perspective of it, our opinion, our perspective, et cetera. And language matters. So the more that we talk about this, you know, well, that's her truth. You know, she's living her truth. The more we undermine 
and 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 usurp the, the the real thing what really is true and the less energy we put into both learning what's true and maintaining an open mind such that other information might come in to help us understand what's true because once you've decided you already understand what's true little gets in <laughs> You know, uh, little gets in after that. I love Trump. Boom. You know, nothing else can come in. You can't talk about what an ass he is. <laughs> you know, people ask, I know the man. I know the man. <laughs> and I have credibility because I think folks watched me, uh, 54 million viewers on national television, uh, and can understand how quickly I was able to perceive who each of the participants were such that I could get rid of each of them <laughs> in order to win. Not because that's what I do in real life, but those were the rules of the game, outwit, outlast, outplay. But I'm, I'm, my background, my interest, my fascination is with who we are. So I'm, I'm adept, I think, uh, at um, understanding us, we humans, and and figuring out what the what the core is. Well, who real people? What what's real about those with whom I interact? And uh, I could go on, but I don't want to bore the audience about Trump. <laughs> well, you actually met him too, right? Of course, in the Celebrity Apprentice, or no? not met him? No, no, I knew him intimately for years prior to that. I worked with him. I worked in his building. I I. Um, hosted the um, CBS Early Show, CBS Early Mornings, or CBS Early Show, I think it was called. Um, sat in for Brian Gumble. We talked in the morning, had breakfast out, you know, at, at sometimes. I've been to events with he and his wife, many, 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 many uh, events. Um, the Harlem Globetrotters. I sat on the dais at the Friars Club when he was roasted at his invitation. Um, I was naked with him in his in trump tower at the top of trump tower in his penthouse uh office uh, i was hosting live with regis and uh, we did a skit to um, and so i i rode the elevator naked up to his office walked to his secretary <laughs> and when she ushered me into his office where he stood in the window and i put my arms around him butt naked and uh, he pointed out what um what he owned which was quite a bit at the time and uh, no, we, we've uh, we've actually spent time um, talking, and and I was on Celebrity Celebrity Apprentice as well, so I got to know Ivanka and Don, who were both part of that uh, show as well, and so and Eric came occasionally, but um, yeah, I had the privilege of personal experience uh, upon which to communicate my thoughts about who the man is and how utterly, utterly uh, unsuited he is for the, for the role he took on. Did you ever get to talk to him after that? No, no. Um, no, it's another one of those <laughs> times, many have occurred in my life when as vocal as I am, um, there, there comes a disconnect. What I find is that it, it, it isn't that I am uninterested in someone else's opinion, but I think people perceive that and find me arrogant because I have an opinion. I have an opinion about most things. I share that opinion. I'm thrilled to. I like to talk about my perspective on issues. I even more so want to hear yours, particularly if it differs or why you support something that I believe in too. But, but I, I maybe I'm ineffective at communicating that, and I didn't sense any interest <laughs> once Trump began uh, his run for president uh, in engaging thereafter, <laughs> because I was very vocal in the public eye. I think was part of it. And there were times prior to it when he was contemplating his run where he made comments to me about how and why he believed our relationship was going to change anyway because of the way in which he had to alter his um, uh, his bent, his his how he's perceived on air. 
So, you know, the, 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 this entire idea of being religious or knowing what a Bible is, is just nothing to do with Trump or his life. And he had to go that way. And even on, on Celebrity Apprentice, which was right at the, uh, um, at the outset, when he was in the beginning talks of whether or not this was something he might do sometime, he said to me something about how he had to be careful about my lifestyle and on air made comments to the effect of, um, you know, homophobic stuff. I don't know what it was. It was stupid. And I smiled and responded however I did and let him know how absurd I thought that was. And the truth is he doesn't give a crap one way or another. He just doesn't. It's not that he's, I'm even going to claim that he's homophobic. It, it just, he's, he's just not a man with a core. He just doesn't care. There's, there's no one I know who's more kind of um, expedient, just, just whatever it takes in the moment to get whatever it is he wants in the moment he will do, um, bar none. Anyway, <laughs> that's my, that's my, <laughs> that's my condensed uh, Trump rant. <laughs> there's more on my YouTube. <laughs> right. No, and you address so many different issues, including how siloed we are and how we don't talk to yeah. each other. And I, I do stand for and envision that world where Trump could talk to you again. Yeah. You know, you could actually, you know, that would actually be enlightening to people to see that and have that be able to be conducted in a way that was respectful and and we need to get there. How do we get there? And, and let's bridge the gap here. Let's get into the conversation kind of uh, main point. I'll, I'll, I'll share a story about prison where uh, I met a man, I'll call him um, Charlie. Uh, I'm, and Charlie was um, charged as a teen with um, having a joint. He had a he had one or two joints, I think it was, uh, and he was living in D.C. in his pocket. And so that went on his record for some reason. He, he had that. He later was charged with, years later, uh, was charged with, as an adult, um, transporting two pounds of marijuana from uh, D.C. to Oregon in his car and was convicted and sentenced to what? How much time? It's a ridiculous two, amount of time. I, two pounds, one one joint was his only prior conviction as a 16-year-old. Now as an adult, uh, it was two pounds. What you, three years. Yeah, 25. Oh. Sentenced to 25 years in prison. Uh, why? Because he's black, period, bar none. There is not a white person anywhere with that record who would have been sentenced to 25 years in prison. I bring this up because of what you said. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could talk about, or Trump and I could talk about, there's a block. I don't know what it is, Cynthia, but there's a wall, this, in, it, it, this impenetrable wall when someone brings up something with which you think you have a better understanding than they do, or with which they think they're um, already informed. And, 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 and this idea of racism, for example, is uh, a perfect, perfect kind of uh, um, example of why I think it, it, we're still not able to make it work. Because I bring up how racist our society remains Today, we can go on and on and will today, I think, talk more about the, the history of racism, but it is indescribably much more difficult for people of color today than most people are willing to admit. And when I bring it up, I get all kinds of things on social media related to the concept of being um, not a patriot. Uh, why don't you move somewhere else? Why do who? Why are you always putting down America? How dare you claim that we're this, that, and the racist? And um, 
it, it, it's nauseating, literally physically nauseating to me because I, I feel as if I am relatively articulate, relatively calm in the face of someone else's perception and their, their reasoning. But I've done all in my power to try to um, take the energy down, um, take slow steps and move with facts towards some sense of reality. <laughs> reality matters. What's true about whether or not Black people, let's just say, face challenges within our country, still significant ones, because of the color of their skin. And I get more pushback on that than almost anything. I go deeper than that in my own mind, in my own head, because I don't think it's just racism. I think it's it's something deeper about who we are and how we react to different, to those we perceive as other. doesn't matter if it's just the color of your skin. When I lived my entire life prior to Survivor, I was 38 years old when I went on Survivor, I was relatively open. I didn't care what people thought of me. I'm a fat naked, gay, white atheist. <laughs> you know, there are lots of things that that people um, didn't know about me, but some came to know them and it didn't affect me. But when that became knowledge worldwide, but 54 million viewers uh, America-wide, I had no sense of how stirring it would be, how angry making, how in addition to the show that in which they didn't understand the concept, they were perceiving me as a villain, they felt entitled to villainize me and feel that way because I was different, which is what the casting professionals wanted. Of course, they're looking for those of us who are somewhat different and maybe a little entertaining to, to get people to tune in. But the consequences of that taught me uh, quite a bit. I always maintained this demeanor in which I claimed I, I don't really care what people think about me. I'm more interesting and interested in being open, honest, and getting at who we are to one another in real ways. But I learned <laughs> that not caring uh, what people think about me has consequences as well. And, and, it, and it was really... Uh, a powerful lesson. But this, all that I'm talking about, is, is underlies why I challenge you to, you know, talk more about how you think we might be able to do that, talk across those differences at some point. I don't yet see that pathway. Okay, that's a perfect segue, because I hope to bring something that might provide a little hope and get us at least on the in the right direction. And that would be, so I think it's important for all of us to have heroes. And as you mentioned earlier, Rich, Brian Stevenson is one of mine. I commonly will say, Brian, there's in the world of lawyers who are alive, I have heroes who are legal, who are no longer with us. But the ones who are alive, I tend to say, you can pretty much ask any lawyer and they'll tell you. <laughs> there's Brian Stevenson. Okay, we gotta put Barack in there. And then there's a giant gap. And then there's the rest of us. <laughs> He's an so, amazing man, yeah. So back to Brian. If you're ever watching TV and you happen to see there's someone who's been wrongly accused of murder and been on death row for 30 plus years, um, <clears throat> you can bet one of two organizations is involved. It's either the Equal Justice Initiative, which is Brian's organization, or the Innocence Project, which we will be featuring in another episode because we love them too. <laughs> and these people do such inspired work. In Brian's case, he's Harvard-trained lawyer, could have gone anywhere, set up his practice in Montgomery, Alabama to serve the most underserved. Alabama, I believe it fights with Texas in terms of the per capita number of people the state kills. 
legally through yeah. capital punishment. Um, and in Alabama, and hopefully someone's going to fact check me from EJI, <laughs> but I believe this is still true. They don't have defense for persons on death row. So Brian's organization is who you go to because that is what they provide because it's not otherwise provided by the state of Alabama. So well. in, uh, just to say a word about EJI, it's grown. It's grown immeasurably and they have many initiatives and I invite you to go to their website, which is EJI.org. It'll be in the show notes. You'll see they have different initiatives and one which answers your question, Rich, about how in the world do we get through some of this impasse has to do with education. They're, they do beautiful work in terms of actually having studied and archived um, how did we get from slavery to where we are now? And they actually have an entire museum that will, it, through different media, very eloquently walk you through how we went from the civil rights era, the Jim Crow laws, up until like they have actually, they're one of two organizations that track lynchings which are just a horrific phenomenon when you think about it. But in the day, apparently lynchings became so popular, people would like go like a sporting event and they would want to like take a piece of flesh out of the person that was being lynched as like a little uh, keepsake. And the mobs got so out of control that in a sense, if you listen to Brian who speaks this all so much more clearly, it goes through step by step how we've kind of, as a matter of mob control, we've kind of brought that in house now. So now the government kills with authority, uh, but it's an inside it's an inside job. So you really get to see it if you're in prison. You get to see how it's mostly black persons and brown persons. Um, yeah, mostly by like mostly. <laughs> Like in a yeah. huge, largest percentage of who is um, uh, over-indicted, I'll call it. But Right. And then, of course, the legal system is humans, and there's all kinds of error at all different steps in the process. And so when you're looking at death row, uh, one of the stats, at least this is true, I have a couple of my my favorite books here with me, because I'm just that kind of a geek. Um, this is The Sun Does Shine. This is one of his, one of Brian's uh, clients who served 30 years on death row and was finally freed. And in the back of it, you're in tears through the whole book, but then you get to the back and they literally name all the people as of the print date who are sitting on death row. And then the stats at, as of this, which I believe this one came out in like 2018. Yeah, it was Oprah's in Oprah's book club in 2018. Um, one in 10 is wrongly there. There's a statistic error. Yeah. There's a statistic that sounds shocking, but there's no telling if it if if it's even more than that because our system is truly so broken. And here here's where I'd like to take us a little deeper, okay? Because I don't think it's even just about the most uh, time invested, lawyer invested, uh, what people think of as. Uh, powerful consequences associated with it, uh, death row cases that we can talk about. The, the, these people who were convicted of uh, a crime for which they were sentenced to die get whatever attention they get. And we know, that, period, that their convictions are often corrupt, that Participants have agendas that are outside of what the 
the, the legal system is supposed to do in order to find out who's guilty and who isn't. But this enormous um, destruction of a life, you know, killing somebody for a crime gets some attention from the Innocence Project, from uh, the Equal Justice Initiative, et cetera. And we talk about these statistics that you, you, that you just read, you know, maybe 10% of them. Think about, and I don't want to bring everybody down, but think about those that aren't convicted or, or sentenced to death. There's only a small percentage of the more than anyone else in the world American uh, conviction rate of, what is it, 260,000 people in prison or some insane number. Um, be, below that very, very small percentage of people who are convicted to die, which deserve every bit of the attention from these groups, the Equal Justice Initiative and, and et cetera, lies everyone else who was subject to this broken, broken legal system of which you are um, a shining light. <laughs> you know, uh, lawyers can only do as much as they can do, truly, um, because the system is set up in so many ways to be biased, to be corrupt, etc. But anything below death penalty, what attention do they get? You get 30 years, you get 25 years, you get 10 years, 25 years for that joint. You get whatever your sentence is. And let me tell you, mine was 51 months and then nine more months, whatever. It's long. The, the, the length isn't really even um, the pro my primary concern, although the lengths of our sentences are longer than anyone else in the world, any of the industrialized nations who know what punishment is. Um those people get no attention. Those people get no one reviewing what cases, what happened in their cases that may have um, uh, moved the system away from its uh, true north and led them to a false or wrongful conviction. So if we pay all of that attention to those uh, that that number of death penalty convictions and none to all of those people, lives are still destroyed. Families are still destroyed. And the country as a whole suffers in ways that people aren't even talking about, just innumerable ways. I mean, the least of us who are prepared to engage in that system, end up getting put into it, required to pay hundreds of dollars a month just in order to make phone calls to their family. So the families end up fronting that money and go into debt beyond description, and the people inside get de depressed because they can't afford to, and they're taking food out of their kids' mouths. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on with the details. I don't even want to, but I could. My point is that there has to be some way in which we address underlying issues about who we are as humans, that this is how we treat one another. And I haven't found that way yet. I don't know how to bridge that gap because there are so many Americans who stand there and, 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 and say things like, criminal, you got what you deserved. You think they know. This is why I'm so stuck on Reality Matters. Once you think you know something and you're so solid about that, that's when you ought to start questioning the most. Wait a minute. Why am I so convinced? Why do I believe that so strongly? What might I be missing? That's when I call you intelligent. That's when I think we have potential to learn. And I don't see it often. <clears throat> <laughs> well, back to EJI, they have okay. other initiatives. Yeah. One has to do with criminal justice reform, which is a giant topic. You've touched on some of the problems, and they tend to hit on one that is still a problem where we we will try and convict minors in some states as adults which is just horrific. There's a lot of science now about how teens' brains are still developing. And so to take a 17-year-old and, and try them as if they were an adult is just inhumane in all ways. Um, 
they also have some, you know, there are other groups that I will hopefully get to speak to in this podcast that are engaged in restorative justice, which is a really exciting development um, that really looks at what you have pointed to, which is the disconnect between punishment and crime. Um, there um, are a number of inroads. I, I do think the world is finally starting to realize prosecutorial misconduct is a problem. It's you a know, real thing. A, well, being an AUSA is a, is a prestigious and heady, you know, you're the lawyer for the United States of America. That's that's an exciting title. And once upon a time, just notions of integrity were enough to keep all those persons in line. That has degraded over time. And just as we need checks and balances everywhere else, there is now more effort to look at prosecutorial misconduct issues. Um, so I do think slowly, very, very slowly, there's also the problem of the prison industrial complex, mm -hmm. which is really a you know, it's all about a profit motive. Keep those prisons' beds full. Like even when, like if, if you, so my very favorite book, Back to Brian, is actually this one. It's, he published it in 2014. It's Just Mercy. And uh, highly recommend it. It's so good that they recently released a movie about it with A-list celebrities in there. And I don't want to say a whole lot about the movie except grab a Kleenex box and go see it. <laughs> um, and um, among other things in there, what you you see the, the you know there back to the prison industrial complex. Part of the issue there is, as in that movie, even after it's determined the person is wrongly convicted, you would think that you could just present that to the warden, and the warden would go. Oh, thanks, Cynthia. We're going to let that guy go. No. They will fight you and 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 fight you. Um, for years. For years. Years, years, years. And, and which is why, like, someone like Brian, he can even, if you were talking to him about his career, he literally sometimes has clients who wind up being killed and he goes to that moment you know because of course they want their lawyer there and of course he's the kind of guy that goes and somehow he gets up the next day and goes back to work you know i just am like but he does that because he says hope is really you know we you have to keep the forward moving fight you have to keep going you have to keep there is progress the arc of justice is bending you know we are we are moving in the right direction it's just Hard to be patient with it at times. I like to believe that, and and I think hard to be patient is is um, is a really good description. I mean, even though we are making progress, uh, I'll give you that. We have yet, as a country, to decide whether people are sent to prison as punishment or to be punished. And I'd love your audience to think about that for just a minute. I mean. That's an important decision, and we have not made it. And so having not decided whether people are sent to prison as punishment, and that's their punishment, they're in prison, or they're sent to be punished, means that those humans who have roles as guards, you know, prison officials, etc., decide for themselves. Imagine how that works. <laughs> right, and one of the things that's also so heartbreaking to me, because I I get to see it, I've seen it now for so many people, is they commit the crime or they don't commit the crime. They serve the sentence either which way. Now they have allegedly survived all of that. Life as they knew it is completely destroyed. They're in a new chapter trying to recreate life. And even then, they continue like how we don't give people a chance after they serve prison and the difficulty of getting a first job and all the probation complications. And it's like you almost, you get punished and punished and punished and you continue to be punished. Permanently. 
So yeah. you know, getting getting personal again, people don't know this. Americans don't know it, don't think about it, don't have room for it. There's only so much you can prioritize in your brain, which is why I think if we can raise any money somehow for equal justice initiative, oh, uh, I, I couldn't be happier. But so you get out of prison. I've been out of prison. I've been out of finished with probation for well over a decade now, I guess. Um, have I? Yeah. I still get letters every now and then. So I'm a veteran. I served uh, five years in the military uh, honorably. Uh, I was in the army. I went to West Point, et cetera. This is all pre-survivor, et cetera. I got a, I got a letter from USAA, um, the, you know, the uh, wonderful insurance company who insures uh, military-associated um, people saying, um, we don't want you and please don't apply again. And when I, when I called to find out what the heck are you talking about, that was the first letter I got. Um, they wouldn't say, and, you know, um, some pushing, calling again, getting another person being, uh, approaching him with a different attitude and then et cetera. I got, well, there's something on your record. Oh, felon. Oh, oh, committed, uh, convicted of attempting to evade taxes that were never assessed until 10 years after I was out of prison. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, no, we don't want you. So my point being, it isn't even when you finished thinking it's done, the probation. Here we are 22 years beyond the, uh, the incident of which I was convicted, even though I was innocent. Um, boom. Still, the consequences go on, and it's not just USAA. As time went on, I got letters from different banks and um, organizations. Just once, somehow, that that thing that that whatever it is, the identifier that pops up in their records that sh shows that you had been convicted, uh, boom, they they don't want you to 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 participate, and so you then look for an insurance company who costs you more and who doesn't give you the benefits of having been a veteran, et cetera, et cetera. And this is just in all walks of life. This is what happens when, when we convict somebody here in America, we don't have any sense of them being um, worthy people. Uh, even if they did do that, which of which they were convicted, um, who, want to move on and to be contributors of society. We just feel better about ourselves in general if we show disdain for them and and maintain that disdain. And there's something very, very wrong about that for our for our race, <laughs> for humanity. And um, so talking about it makes me happy because People are uncomfortable, and I like making people uncomfortable if it's true. Well, in one of Brian's inspired quotes, something he says different ways, but it is always that we were we are all more than our worst deed. Right. Because all of us, if we look at our life, we have a moment or moments that are not, and that, you know, they're not our best. And <clears throat> we're all more than that. We're all still human beings. And so he, you know, then you get into the discussion of when there is a crime, what is proper punishment? But I think most anyone would agree at some point it needs to end. If there, if there was a real crime and there is appropriate punishment and it is satisfied, we need to then give that person an opportunity to contribute. Yeah, to live again, a lot, you know, as a, you know, get back into the game of living. Um, and we we destroy a lot of our community this way. Um, we do. And the community we destroy are those most disadvantaged, least able to support themselves anyway, typically. And I think that's why these organizations are so, so needed. I can fight for myself. I don't care if you feel sorry for me. I don't care if you think I attempted to evade taxes or not. Um, I was sentenced to more time in prison than anyone in U.S. history for the amounts that the prosecutors made up and claimed that I attempted to evade because I didn't attempt to evade anything. But I don't care. It's over. It's a part of my history. I don't 
care, here I go again, what people think. I can't. I can't waste my time expecting that anyone will really know me who's not a part of my life. So, so I don't bother with that. And I'm healthy enough that I don't take it on and let it, let that negativity that can be pervasive um, undermine what I might do in life. But unfortunately, we aren't all that healthy. We aren't all that educated. We'll go back to you. That's where we, I think, converge in our ideas. What do we, where all of this um, can be can be looked at with some hope. But I don't know how to inspire more education. There, there, there are there are. Uh, financial requirements. There are cultural uh, um, blocks to 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 being as educated as might be helpful. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a tough thing, but um, I, I love that it's part of the Equal Justice Initiative. I love everything they do. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to bring some things to a close, but I wanted to say a couple yeah. more uh, EJI. Uh, initiatives and projects you might want to participate in. One, watch the movie. You'll love yeah. it. Two, catch at least the trailer. It's all in the show notes. Three, listen to Brian's TED Talk. It's 10 years old now. You might want to hear all the many things he says more recently as well. You know, post George Floyd, he has a lot of really great things to say. Um, but that TED Talk where he's speaking about injustice is a classic tune into that. It's in the show notes. And then he also has a project that EJI has a project where they track lynchings. Um, <clears throat> in fact, if we could really quick, just put that slide up, please. Uh, that shows the lynchings in America. This is good data. <clears throat> You'll enjoy seeing, uh, just the number of just them. to see it yeah and i know some of you are listening so you just have to find the visual for this but this is this comes from eji it's on their website and they've been tracking all of these people and a lot of them were lynched for things like you know might be a black young man who looked at a white woman i mean we're talking really horrific deaths here and it keeps going. And one of the things that they do is they have this community marker project. There we go. There are more, right? That can't even be documented. Right. Those were 2000 documented across the screen. There were so many, it looked like those flights during the busiest day of the year where you can't even see the country, but this was across the, the southern uh, southeastern corner but and that was just for, for your audience that graphic depicted only a period between 1865 and 1876 that doesn't show anything thereafter or prior to that right or even like i was so this project of the community markings what they do is you know a lot in the south still has all kinds of statutes and memorabilia for the confederacy and what they do in the community marker project is they literally, they put a little marker where the person was lynched. They also even have teams that will go and dig up the soil to get the DNA and the blood of the person in a jar. And you can go to the museums that um, EJI actually has two. Well, one is the it's called the Memorial for Peace and Justice, and the other one is the Legacy Museum. And you can see all these jars of soil from, taken where someone was lynched. And then they also uh, acknowledge in each county all the persons who were lynched in that county. I, I was so inspired by that project. I, of course, have been in communication with them about, well, what, what, let's do it here in LA where I live. and. It hasn't really happened yet, but I, I am going to be engaged in that. For whatever reason, we tended to lynch brown people more than black people over here on the west side. So they're not showing up in that graphic. Yeah, um, for, what, for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, yeah. but, but so you can be looking, that's another, I just, uh, obviously donations to EJI are very requested and welcome and needed. Um, but if you want to also participate, they have many other projects that I think you'll find fascinating and I invite you to check out the show notes. I do and have over, to wrap it up, but go ahead. If there's some last yeah, comments you want to make, there, Rich. There is. And overall, educate yourself. Try to have an open mind and think about what, what you might not know about a particular concept related to this topic or, or, or any other. But if you, if you think you've already got it down, you already know it, you're not likely to learn what's really going on or how it changes or, or how um, difficult it is. And I, I feel sad uh, for folks who are so convinced that they know, and I know that's uh, ironic to some folks who are survivor watchers who think of me as arrogant. I, I welcome your, your perception and I'd love to talk about how I don't think that's true, but um, perhaps it is. I'll have to keep an open mind. <laughs> Please do so yourselves. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love being with you, Cynthia. Thank you. Oh yeah, such a joy. I just can't thank you enough, truly. Um, and for all the listeners, I thank you also for tuning in to Vale La Pena. I hope this has been worth your while. I hope you engage with EJI in a meaningful way. Um, and I thank you for any of your feedback. Feel free to comment. And until the next time. Okay, we'll see you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Vale La Pena. Please join us in making an impact together for people, animals, and the environment. Details in the show notes. You can find this show through my website at www.rebuslegal.com and on YouTube, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. I'm your host, Cynthia Rebus. And I welcome and thank you for your feedback, comments, questions, and sharing this show with others. <laughs>